Dr. Green was scheduled to uh, speak this weekend, and he got sick and couldn't come because he has no faith. And so, uh, <laughs> so I get to be uh, I get to be the pinch hitter uh, this weekend, which has been a, a privilege and an honor. And uh, now I, I'm going to do my best Dr. Green impression uh, this morning. I have uh, I looked for some red pants in my closet this morning. <laughs> Could not find them, but I found a polka dotted shirt. So, anyways, uh, but he said to say hello to everybody. It was probably good he didn't fly in with all the uh, the snow, or not the snow, but the ice and the, the weather. Uh, who knows if his flight would have got here. So, anyways, it's been a great year. I, I think as uh, we all uh, come to Christmas and the new year, we, we tend to look back, and I've certainly done that the last uh, the last month, and it's it's been a great year. One of the things I'm really thankful for is that a year ago, I was not in this community. I don't even know that I knew this community. I don't think I did know this community existed until a friend told me about it. And right after the new year, I started to uh, attend here and just came and loved it and fell in love with uh, the staff, the pastors, the people. And so a year later, I'm really, really grateful to be here. This is really home. And I've met so many of you and love all of you and uh, just love what we're doing here. And, um, and then the other wonderful thing is uh, about two weeks ago, I got engaged. So I'm uh, really happy about that. I met this girl uh, at the beginning, actually, of last year, uh, this past year, uh, January, February sometime, and we kind of started a friendship that evolved, and about five months ago, uh, that friendship began to get quite a bit more serious, and uh, so I proposed uh, a couple weeks ago, and she said yes, and that was a good thing, and uh, Lori's on the front with her wonderful daughter, Allie, and uh, so it's it's really awesome, and uh she is a dental hygienist, and uh, so this is this is my life now. Um, every every morning, I have uh, I have floss guilt continually. <laughs> but this is her life. Uh, she yeah. So she's uh, she's got a preacher uh, who thinks he's secretly Batman. So, anyways. It is wonderful, and we're, uh, we're enjoying this season. So I, uh, thinking about uh, preaching this message uh, 12 hours ago, uh, I, or maybe, maybe 36 hours ago, I was, I was really contemplating uh, in my own life kind of some things that I've, uh, that I've come to in the last year. And one of the things... Uh, that I've really struggled with and I feel like I've made some progress in in the last 12 months is really a, a rediscovery of God's peace. And uh, for years, many, many years, peace just seemed to be so evasive for me. And I struggled trying to really grab it. I, I really didn't even know what it was. I would hear talk about the peace of God and peace that passes understanding. And I was like, what in the world is peace? I, how do you know when you got it? And where do you find it? And what is it? And it's, it's just been uh, a continual battle. And so I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about that journey that I've been on and, and maybe a journey that, that you've encountered as well. And I want to just begin by 
going back to this, uh, this prince peace that we talk about, this prince of peace that we see in scripture. And uh, John talks about him in, in, in the first uh, chapter, John 1. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And he goes on and says in 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So who is this? word that became flesh. Who is this Christ child that John spoke of? Jesus was born in a small town to a poor unmarried teenage mother roughly 2,000 years ago. He was adopted by Joseph, a simple carpenter, and he spent the first 30 years of his life in obscurity, swinging a hammer with his dad. Around the age of 30, Jesus began a public ministry that included preaching, healing the sick, feeding the hungry, and befriending people who were marginalized because they were prostitutes or drunkards or thieves or such. Jesus' ministry spanned only three short years before he was put to death for declaring himself to be God. He died a shameful crucifixion like tens of thousands of others had died before him. And curiously, his resume was quite simple. He never traveled more than a few hundred miles from his home. He never held a political office. He never wrote a book. He was never married. He never attended a college, and he never visited, really, a big city. He died homeless and poor. And yet, he is the most famous person in all of human history. More songs have been sung about him, more artwork painted of him, more books written about him than anyone else that has ever lived. Billions of people gather together from the nations of the earth to worship him as God. Even unbelievers are constantly reminded of his influence since we all measure time around his life. No army or nation or person has changed human history to the degree that Jesus, the homeless man, has. We serve an amazing God who sent this incredible son, the word that became flesh. Essentially, John was telling us that God's coming to live in a human body. He's coming to live a human existence. When it says the word became flesh, that word is logos or the truth or God's truth or God's veracity was coming to live in our world. You know, God has always wanted to speak to his people. He's had this longing to make himself known and he's done it in so many ways throughout the scripture. As we go back all the way to the Old Testament, we see that God spoke through voices and he spoke through winds and he spoke through thick clouds. He spoke through imagery, spoke through burning bushes and prophets, even donkeys. But finally, God decided to speak 
in and through a man and became a man. He longs to be known. And God began to walk around our earthly neighborhood in this human body. And this wasn't some cut-rate version of God. It wasn't some light, less-filling version of God. Paul describes the incarnation as the very fullness of God dwelling in Christ. You know, the Gospels don't just talk about the, the death of Christ and the birth of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. There's all this stuff in between. It's what one author calls the black verses of Scripture. We know what the red verses are. That's where Jesus is speaking. But the black verses are the descriptive text, the text that kind of documents how God lived among us, how he encountered human life, how he encountered his culture, the things that he did and the things that he didn't do. We get a beautiful picture of what God is like. Great uh, philosopher, Soren Kierkegaard, wrote a parable years and years ago in which he attempted to explain this mysterious incarnation of God coming into this world. And he writes, he says, a certain king was very rich, but something was missing and it kept him unhappy. He desired a wife. Without a queen, he felt like his palace was empty. And one day while riding through the streets of a small village, he saw a beautiful peasant girl and he desired her more and wanted her more than anything else in the world. And he wondered how he might win her love. So he thought to himself, I will draw up a royal decree that will require her to come and be brought before me. And then I shall make her the queen of my land. And as he thought about his plan, he considered it. He said, you know, I've realized that if I do that, she would be forced to obey. And he would never really sure that he had truly won her love. And so he said to himself, I'm gonna go call on her in person. I shall dress in my royal garb. I'll wear my jeweled crown, my best rings, my silver sword on my side, my most colorful tunic, and I will sweep her off her feet to become my bride. And yet he would always wonder whether she had married him for his riches and the power that he could give her. And so at last he knew what he would do. He would shed his royal robes. He would go to the village and become one of the peasants. He would work with them. He would live with them. He would suffer with them. He would actually become one of them. And this he did. And in doing so, he won his bride. And that's what Christ did. Paul describes the incarnation in Philippians 2. He says that Christ, being the very nature of God, did not even consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage, but rather he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He was found in the appearance of a man, and he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even the death of the cross. This is the message of Christmas. When I think about Christmas, I, I have to always go back to Isaiah as Isaiah prophesied and he spoke of this coming king. He spoke of this, this word that would become flesh in the ninth chapter. And we know the verse, it says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. 
The government shall be upon his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. So what is peace? What is the peace that he's come to bring? You know, when I think about peace, I think about war and peace. I think, well, peace is when we're not at war. Peace is when things are tranquil and things are nice and no one's fighting and we don't have hostility and there's, there's peace in the land. But I think in the kingdom of God, peace is not necessarily the absence of conflict or turmoil in our world, although we'd like it to be. I wish it was like that, but it isn't. In fact, it's interesting that the very prince of peace, as he walked on the earth, seemingly in his world, did not bring a lot of peace. <laughs> there were a lot, of, a lot of freaked out religious people that were at war with Jesus all the time. Pigs, when he would show up, would go running off of cliffs. His disciples were always causing drama. It would seem that this prince of peace, wherever he would show up, all of a sudden, everything would just be so wonderfully tranquil and serene. But it wasn't the case, was it? So what is this peace? If he's really this prince that brings peace, what does this peace look like and how do we find it? When you go back to Hebrews and you study out the word peace or shalom, it literally means to be sound or to be complete or to live well in life. I heard the story of a, of a man years ago in, in a land that, that uh, d- declared that he wanted all, all the great artists of the land to, to paint the perfect picture of peace. And so he commissioned this competition. He said, bring your painting, paint the most beautiful images of peace. And so everybody came to, to see what these great artists had, had painted. And, and they began one at a time, you know, pulling off and, uh, you know, the, uh, you know the, the coverings off these paintings and, and showing what these artists have created. And, and it finally got down to the, to the last two artists who were the, the greatest artists in the land. And these were the final two paintings. And so the, the crowd uh, kind of grew tense and there was this hush as they unveiled the first of these two paintings. And, and as he did, as they did, just, oh, the crowd just took a deep breath. It was like, As they looked at this painting, it was a mere smooth lake reflected with lacy green birches and a soft blush of evening sky. Along a grassy shore, there was a flock of sheep grazing undisturbed. Surely this was the winter. It was beautiful. And then the final painting was uncovered. And as it was uncovered, the crowd just gasped in surprise. How could this be peace? As they looked at this painting, it was a tumultuous waterfall cascading down this rocky precipice. The crowd could almost feel its cold, penetrating spray. Stormy gray clouds threatening to explode with lightning and wind and rain. In the midst of all the thundering noise and bitter chill, there was this spindly tree clung to the rocks at the edge of the falls, and one of its branches reached out in front of the torrential waters, and a tiny little bird had built a nest 
in the elbow of that branch. Content and undisturbed in her stormy surroundings, she rested on her eggs. With her eyes closed and her wings ready to cover her little ones, she had peace from her creator that transcended all earthly turmoil. And I think that's a picture of God's peace. Because we're never going to get away in this world from turmoil, from trouble. You know, uh, when Isaiah went on to write more about peace in chapter 48, verse number 18, he, he said, if you paid attention to my commands, you'd have peace like a river. And I thought about this uh, this image. I thought, really and truly, even though this communicates, I think, what we would call a very peaceful image, the body of water that Isaiah talked about when he talked about God's peace was more of a river, a mighty and a flowing river. And there is a peace about watching a mountain stream or a river go towards its destination. But if you get close and even get in that river, you'll find out that there's power and there's force and that river is, uh, river is weaving around rocks and branches and harsh terrain as it gets to its place. And it's almost like God is saying, in the middle of our moving through this life that has rocks and terrain and turmoil and trouble and stress and issues, that there can be peace in the journey. And so this Prince of Peace, one of the things that you you read in those verses in Isaiah is that it says that the government and peace of Christ to which, or to the government and peace of Christ, there will be no end. And I think it's, I think it's uh, significant that he talks about government and peace. It says that the government of Christ and the peace of Christ that follows that government, there will be no end. Now, when we talk about government, we, you know, I mean, it, it, it doesn't, doesn't make us feel warm and fuzzy, does it? I mean, government doesn't, doesn't bring about, oh, I just love government. It's so, so wonderful. Just can't wait to have more government in my life, you know. And, and, and there's, we, have, you know, we tend to have a little bit of a negative, con- and for, for sometimes for good reasons. But government is actually a good thing. It's, it's, it's better to, to be governed than not to be governed. It's better to have laws and, and, than to be lawless. And so there's, there's a, a blessing, and we're told to pray for our government, pray for our leaders, even if they aren't perfect. And, and yet God's government is perfect. And it says that, that Christ wants to bring government and, and in following government, peace. And when we allow God's governing force to steer and direct our lives, there is a peace that follows. And one of the things that I've discovered is, God, I have, I've got to kind of surrender here. I, I've been holding on too tight. I've been trying to get this thing done on my own. And there's, there's something about just saying, God, govern my life. And I surrender and come in and begin to, to take lordship and take residency so that your peace can follow. And I, I, I just wrote down three areas of peace that, that I had to allow God's government into in my life. And I think this may surprise you, but I, I had to make peace with God. I mean, I've been in the ministry for 30 years and there came a moment where I had to make peace with God. I'd never really made peace with him. 
It's interesting in 2 Peter chapter 1, it says, verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace and peace be multiplied. How? By the knowledge of God, by knowing who God is, really knowing God. And it's interesting, those, those twins, grace and peace, go together all the time. Throughout Scripture, that's why we, we have a moment in our service where we speak that blessing of grace and peace over each other because the apostles and Paul and Peter, they spoke, were continually speaking and praying grace and peace. The two are twins and grace comes before peace. When we have the knowledge of God's grace, peace comes because really what grace is, is us coming to a place of peace with God, understanding that we are what we are. We, we live today because of his grace. We are alive today because of his grace. We are forgiven today because of his grace. There's nothing we can do to deserve that grace. And I have to tell you, for years, I didn't get grace. Oh, I would sing about it and I would read it, but I didn't really know what grace was. And I sure didn't embrace it in my life. You know, I, I, I got saved and, and, and God came into my life when I was a teenager and I knew that God loved me, but I always felt, even though I knew God so loved me that he gave himself, I, I just always knew that God was still just a little bit ticked off at me. I mean, I just knew he was. I just knew there was just something every day that just was ticking him, off, ticking him off. And I was concerned about it all the time. And I just kind of grew up with this checklist Christianity. I had my to-dos and, and even bigger lists were my to-don'ts. You know, the to-dos were a lot easier. They were like, you know, go to church and read the Bible and pray and, and be nice. But the to-don'ts were forever. I mean, there were just so many of them. And, and, I, and I just rarely, rarely got... The, the list checked off every day. I mean, it was just so hard. There were just so many things. And I, and I just knew every day I was just, uh, God was mad. He just, you know, he, was, he loved me, but he was just kind of mad. And, and I just was always at odds with God. I just, I just didn't feel like he ever really had accepted me, that I just was never a good enough son or child until finally, and it, sometimes it takes getting to the bottom in our world. It takes absolutely getting desperate before we realize that we can't do this on our own, that we can't live this life by ourselves, that we are totally and completely dependent upon his grace. And I got to that place where all I could do was say, God, I need your love and your grace. I cannot live this life by myself. And I began to discover that God recklessly loves us, that he's abandoned himself in love towards us, that while we were yet sinners at our worst, that he sent his son, that he wants us to be at peace with him, that we have peace with him through his blood. And I began to discover as I allowed his goodness and his love just to penetrate my soul and forgive me and love me and not be thinking about all the things that are ticking him off all the time and realizing his love is never ceasing, it's never ending. All of a sudden, that goodness and that love began to cause my heart to turn in repentance because it's his goodness that brings us to turning. 
Oh, he loves us. There's a great theologian, R.C. Sproul, who kind of challenged a notion back in his day. There was a 60s and 70s, there were there were evangelism books, and, and, and some of these, these evangelism teaching books showed this, this uh, picture of sinners lost without God, and, and it showed, it showed uh, these sinners kind of in a raging ocean, and the waves are you know, coming over, and they're, they're drowning, and they're crying out for help, and there's they're, they're sin, and, and, and then there's this really bad-looking picture of Jesus on a boat, throwing a, a little life dinghy, one of those round little life, you know, things. And, and, and the sinners grabbing onto him and, you know, Jesus, you know, pulling on as they held on and saving them out of their sin. And, and uh, Sproul wrote and he said, that's not a picture of our salvation. He said, here is what salvation is. We weren't working and clinging and staying atop of our sin. And we weren't the ones grabbing the, 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 the salvation and pulling ourselves in with the help of Christ. He said, this is how God worked. He came down and reached his mighty hand of salvation to the very bottom of the ocean where we lied dead in our sins. We had no life. We had no hope. We had no future we were gone and done. And he grabbed us with his love and raised us up with his resurrection and his power and gave life to a dead and thirsty soul. That's the grace of God. It has nothing to do with you and everything to do with him. It's all him. And yet all him in us produces the most beautiful things that begin to come out. You know what? I began to find out that there's no righteous act that I can do that will make God love me anymore. And there's no evil deed that I could commit that will ever make him love me any less. He loves us and that love constrains us into relationship with him. The second thing I had to figure out is I, I had to learn to make peace with others. I had to kind of learn to make peace with, with people. And uh, because I, I, I was... I've always been a bit of a perfectionist and I, I'd like things to be done well and with excellence. And, and, I, and, and so it would really make me angry when I would see other people that weren't living up to my standards. I'd like to judge. I was very judgy. And uh, I could find stuff about you that, that needed to be fixed and needed to be fixed quickly. And, <laughs> and so I was always, I had turmoil in my soul all the time because I mean, I'm just thinking, oh yeah, look at him and her. And this, the, the judgy stuff is just working all the time and there was no peace. There was no peace. It's like one uh, blogger recently wrote, she said uh, that dying, she said, will be a relief for me because it will put an end to the heavy burden of judging that I carry. Peace is stolen so quickly when we allow the behavior of people around us to occupy the negative space in our mind, where we give residency to all of that junk that we think people ought to fix. And I love the words of Jesus. He just kind of puts all of this into perspective. He says in, in Luke 6, he says, here's a simple rule of thumb for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. If you only love the lovable, do you expect a pat on the back? He said, run-of-the-mill sinners do that. 
If you only help those who help you, do you expect a metal garden variety sinner to do that? If you give for what you hope to get out of it, do you really think that's charity? He said, the stingiest of pawnbrokers do that. He said, I tell you, love your enemies. Help and give without expecting a return. You'll never, he says, I promise never regret it. Live out of this God-created identity, the way our Father lives towards us, generously, graciously, even when we're at our worst. Our Father is kind. You be kind. Don't pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. Don't condemn those who are down. That hardness can be a boomerang and come right back. Be easy on people. You'll find life a lot easier. Give away your life. You'll find your life given back, but not merely given back, given back with bonus and blessing. Giving and not getting is the way. Generosity begets generosity. You know, the judgmental soul just continually creates tension and stress and antagonism until every relationship slowly dissolves. I love the... The words of St. Augustine, he said, he that is kind is free, though he is a slave. He that is evil is a slave, though he be king. I was on an airplane about 10 years ago, and uh, I used to travel a lot, almost every weekend. And I was uh, on the last leg of a flight home. I'd been gone for probably a week, and I was tired, and I was uh, getting on a plane in Dallas to fly here to Tulsa, And I got on the plane, and it was packed, as it usually was. It was just full. And uh, so I'm I'm going down my aisle, and I've got my carry-on, and I've got my ticket, and I know where my seat is. And I get to my seat, and there is a a big monster of a man sitting in my seat. And uh, he doesn't look happy. He's just kind of, you know, sitting there. He kind of looked up at me with this look, and... And I checked my, double-checked, you know, my, my seat, and it was that seat. And, and normally, if the seat was half, or the, the flight was half full, I would just find another seat. Like, I would just go find an empty row and go to the back if I had. And, I, 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 you know, it wasn't my custom to want to bother people or make them move if, if I could sit somewhere else. But the flight was packed, and I knew if I just sat in another seat somewhere that somebody would come move me, and I'd end up getting up to have to move him anyway. So I just walked up to him. I said, sir, is, I, I didn't even say, hey, you got my seat. I, I said, hey, maybe we've got a mix up here. Maybe they gave us two tickets the same. And so I just said, let's just, you know, I just, this is saying, I, I, this is my seat. And he looks at his ticket and kind of looks up at me and uh, he didn't even respond. He just, uh, he gets up, he pulls his luggage out from under the thing and kind of moves over and he sits right next to me in the aisle right next to me. All he had to do was say, hey, listen, I, I'm actually right there. Would you mind sitting? And I would have gladly sat there, but he didn't respond. I was just like, I'm just sitting back watching, you know, and he gets and he sits down. And so I, I said, thank you. Appreciate it. I sat down in, in, in my seat and, and, I, and the plane took off and I was so tired. I just leaned back, put the, my recline down and closed my eyes. And all of a sudden I hear this gruff, loud voice. He says, hey, you really think you're one hot load of crap, don't you? <laughs> Except he did not say crap. He said a, a naughty word. And, and everyone heard it. I woke up, I didn't know who he was talking to. 
And I mean, within three rows, everyone was leaning in like, what is about to happen here? And I was just praying to God that he wasn't talking to me. But when I looked up, he was looking right at me, like kind of like this. And I'm like, sir, did, did I, you know, is there something? It's, oh, you walk in here, young buck, like you own the airlines. <laughs> you think you're something else, don't you? Just move to me, take him. I said, sir. And I could tell he'd been drinking because of the three bottles in his legs. Uh, and and, I, I, and, and and he just went on. He started to berate me. And I'm just, and, and I have to tell you, I'm, I, I don't like to get into fights with people. I do not like creating turmoil in relationships. But I am a man, and I have ego, and there is a point with me where you can push me, and I don't care who it is. As we say in hockey, I'll drop the gloves. And I was ready to drop the gloves. I was like, and, and the reason I was is because we were on an airplane and I knew he was bigger, stronger, probably tougher than me, but the fight would only last so long before it'd be broken up, but at least I would get something in. And so I was like, I am ready to go. And as I, as I, as I was just contemplating what the next words were going to be that come out of my mouth, I had all these, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sharp with my tongue and I, I, had, I had stuff like... I won't even say it, but I had things that I was going to say. And, and, and in that moment, I just, I just like paused. And I just kind of looked and said, sir, I don't know how I came off. Obviously, I came off bad. I, I, maybe I, I was smug or I was short with you, but that was not my intention. I apologize. I'm sorry. And he went from this to absolute bewilderment. He was just looking back at me. He didn't know what to say. He just looked at me and everyone else is looking. And, and I think for a loss of what to say, he just said, so what do you do, man? <laughs> Wrong question. And I wasn't trying to push guilt on him. or I, just, I had to, I just said, well, I've, you know, I, I, I pastor at a church. And he just dropped his, his, his face and just said, oh, shoot. <laughs> no, he didn't say shoot. <laughs> and I asked him what he did, and he told me, and, and then he said, you know, I just have had a bad, not a bad day. He said, I've had a bad month. I just went through a divorce. My wife won't let me see our kids. I'm mad and I'm angry and I'm bitter. And he said, I'm bitter at God and I'm bitter at the world. And so we began to talk and I didn't have all the answers for him, but I listened and I talked. And about 40 minutes later, he just looked over and said, hey man, would you pray for me? And I said, I'd be happy to. And then he said, here's my address. Send me some of those books you were talking about that, that you'd read. And, and I just thought, you know, peace is not the absence of the opportunity for stress and anxiety and turmoil. It's simply acknowledging and allowing God into our relationships. And it's hard sometimes. 
The last thing is, I, I think I, I had to make peace with myself, and I have to make peace with myself every day. There are times where I have to just say, okay, I'm going to make a decision here to walk in peace, to live in peace. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of God, in other words, you have control here, let the peace of God rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. And uh, that word rule is actually translated in other translations as umpire. Let the peace of God umpire your heart, rule your heart. I thought about that, that umpire analogy, that, that word umpire, and, and I'm not a huge baseball guy. I was never very good at it, and the games during the season seem kind of slow. I don't mind watching a game or two, but, but I really get into baseball in the playoffs, and especially in the World Series. love to watch the World Series. And, and one of the things I love about watching baseball are the umpires. The umpires are, are awesome. And I've noticed this, that whenever a play is really close, they get very animated, very demonstrative, that they don't call a strike the same way every time. That if a pitcher throws a strike on the first pitch and it's strike one, the umpire will just like strike. That's it. Just a little strike. But if the bases are loaded and the batter's up in the bottom of the ninth and the pitcher throws a strike over the far side of the plate and the, sw- and the, the batter doesn't swing and the umpire calls that third strike to end the inning, to end the game, he doesn't go strike. He goes ballistic. It's like, you know, I mean, it's just, just like, in other words, I, want, I don't want anyone arguing with me. That was a strike. And that's the kind of umpiring we have to do when life is on the edges, when it is really a close call between life and death, between hatred and love, between goodness and evil. When life gets close, we've got to call strong on the peace of God and say, God, bring me your peace. And I would love to give you a formula today as we close that, that will bring peace and, and tranquility when those moments come, but, but I can't because there isn't one. But I can tell you this, that I found that if I will just simply in those moments acknowledge Christ, and it may be uh, literally in some moments, it's just Jesus, that's it, Jesus. Other moments, it's recalling a scripture. Other moments, it's maybe saying a bit of a longer prayer. Other times, it's getting up in the morning and opening up my iTunes and hitting some worship songs and just allowing that worship to sweep over my soul. Other moments, it's, it's you know, having a conversation with a, with a friend, maybe on the phone or at coffee. It's just allowing the presence of Christ in and through life and relationships to come in. And when he's present, he is the prince and he brings the peace. Let's stand to our feet. As we uh, prepare to receive communion, as we close, I'm gonna ask our servers to come forward and, and uh, take uh, 
the communion elements and prepare to serve them to our people. And for those that are new to sanctuary, this is a a time where you can come and to partake of the, the blood and the body of Christ to remember and to be grateful for what he's done and what he continues to do as we uh, take in these elements. And it is through his blood that we have peace. So literally, as we consume the, the juice, as we consume the bread, we are consuming peace we're consuming life. And I want to pray a, a prayer over you that was a prayer prayed by St. Clement, one of the first century church fathers. And just receive this prayer. Lord, let us run onto the goal of peace, which was handed down to us from the beginning. Let us fix our eyes on the Father and Creator of the universe and cling to his magnificent and excellent gifts of peace and kindness to us. And let us consider how free he is from anger. Lord, you love us. Because you loved us, you sent your son. And he shed blood and his body was broken. And in this moment, we acknowledge that we take all of that in. It says that Jesus took bread and after he gave thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's hold up the bread to the Lord. Lord, thank you for this bread. It's your body. It was broken for us. As we take it, crush it beneath our teeth, we remember that you were crushed for our iniquities. Our sins brought death, brought brokenness in your body. But God, it is through the brokenness of your body that our brokenness can be made whole. Thank you. Likewise, Jesus took the cup after supper and he said, this is the cup of the New Testament of my blood, which is shed for you. Take it, drink it, and do it in remembrance of me. Hold forth the cup. Lord, thank you for the blood. Oh, the everlasting, forgiving, life-altering, life-changing blood of Christ. Thank you that it washes us. It brings life to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Come and receive eternal life. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services at 5 p.m. on Saturday, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Sundays. And if you would like more information on who we are and what we're about here at Sanctuary, or to give online, please visit our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com or you can download our mobile app from the App Store or Google Play. We hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.